all of the elders, myself especially, appreciate your prayer for us as we seek to lead this amazing church. And uh, we don't want to do it on our own, so we seek the Lord. And so I finished James, and I asked the elders, I talked to different guys, and then I talked to the Lord. Where should we go next? And God gives direction. We want to study the book of Titus. I've entitled it Christianity Today. We live in a world, and especially our Christian culture in America, that says uh, we kind of do what we want. And uh, we look at many times past generations of Christians kind of with disdain. They just didn't know as much as we. They've not come as far as we have. But you know, the gospel message doesn't change. And the effect the gospel has in people's lives doesn't change. And the purpose, when we partake of Jesus Christ, we get his life, we become like him. Now, you can quench the Holy Spirit. People do that because they don't want to stand out in the world. They kind of want to blend in. And so we live in a culture now that, in our Christian cultures, in America especially, that wants to kind of just imitate the world, and that becomes a strategy for reaching the world. If we can just be like them, then we won't put off put them off with our message. And later, when they find out how cool we really are, we'll slip the gospel in there. You know, Titus, as a pastor in Crete, faced the same kind of challenges, and Paul left him there to complete the work. We live in a college or university city, so we have a lot of university ministries that go on here. There's nothing wrong with being parachurch. That just para just means comes alongside. But the strength and the fruitfulness of a parachurch ministry is determined by what their goal is. You see, the gospel isn't go there for and get decisions for Christ. That's not the gospel. The commission to the apostles was go into all the world, make disciples baptize them, and teach them to observe all things. So where does that happen? That happens in the context of a local Bible-teaching church. So if you're just getting decisions like a lot of big ministries today, and they put it on the gospel gun, all kinds of notches, look what we've done, look at the decision rate we have, then good for you. But that's not what Christ commissioned believers to do. Jesus died for the church His body, the church, is precious to him. How many times do we hear, even some of uh, these great ministries even began with kind of an attitude about the church. Maybe the church wasn't what it was supposed to be in the location they were at. But that's not no excuse for a mission of a ministry that just kind of ends out there nowhere. The strength of a ministry will be determined as fruitfulness by its connection to a Bible-teaching church. Are we reaching people to plant them in the place where they can grow and be everything God intended for them to be? Because think about this logically. Many people, when they leave a university town, are going out where there's not a university ministry. Then what do they do? Well, if they have an attitude about the church and they've not learned what the church is about, what a healthy church is... They just kind of flounder at best. 
Titus was ministering to a people that had challenges, like all churches have challenges. Our culture seems the big emphasis is on license. How much can a Christian do and still be called a Christian? That'd be license. And grace is not license. Grace is the great blessing that God has given us freedom from sin to serve him. You're either going to be a slave of Christ or a slave of Satan, a slave to your flesh or serving the Spirit. Chapter 1 of Titus focuses on biblical qualifications for leadership because it's so important that Christianity, biblical Christianity is modeled by the leadership. In the second chapter, we see the challenges to living out the gospel in all of our lives. How do we treat one another? What are the attitudes that never change? What are attitudes about the Christian home? What are our roles in the Christian home? Those are static in spite of the culture. And we're going to talk about those. We have a culture today in Christianity where moms get so busy with ministry that they got to shove their kids off for somebody else to watch them because they've got to do the Lord's work. No, no, no. You're missing the Lord's work then. That hasn't changed in spite of the fact that we have a lot of women leaders that are very educated and they have big conferences and everybody's got to go to them. There's some things that don't change. Even though the culture changes, the gospel doesn't change and how we live it out in our character and our attitude stays the same. And then in the last chapter on the character and conduct of both leaders and members before an unbelieving world. Titus is an evangelistic letter whose ultimate purpose was to prepare the church for a more effective witness to unbelievers in Crete. Isn't that what we want to be? The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that God's given gifted men to the church so the church can be equipped, so the church can do the work of the ministry. It's not just for those professionals. It's for all of us. And so he gifted us on purpose to strengthen one another so that together we might reflect the love of Christ and his grace and his glory to a dark world. MacArthur says, Paul knew that the saving truth of the gospel message falls on deaf ears when those proclaiming it live ungodly lives that show no evidence of redemption. See, the modern American method for evangelism, and I hear it all the time, is to accommodate, imitate, in order to assimilate the lost into the church. And any standard of righteousness is deemed legalism or old-fashioned. Well, we don't want to just go by tradition. We have to go back to the Word. That is always our standard, the Word of God. Not just because somebody used to do doesn't make it right, because we can get caught in traditions. And they had both of those uh, principles straining in this church. You had the, the legalism of the Judaizers that came in, and so they wanted to pull them back into legalism. And then you had those teaching license, leading whole houses astray. Why do people use those methods? Why? Because the goals are get big fast. You know, for the most part, they don't have small church pastors at conferences, do they? 
Mm -mm. You get the big shots there. And they say, here's how you get it done. Shake and bake, folks. That's it. Rick Warren wrote a book, you know, The Purpose Driven Church. And in the book, he makes a really good statement that you need to discover what your purpose is as a church and then live out that purpose for Christ. That's an amazing statement. The problem is the purposes aren't different depending on where you're at. And the amazing thing about the result of the book is everybody looks like Rick Warren if you follow that deal. Because, I mean, he's successful. He's in California. He's got a big monster church and all these wonderful things. And, and so, obviously, what's he doing? We've got to get that style of music. We've got to get that style of ministry. And the purpose hasn't changed. The purpose is right here in the Scripture to reflect the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed. The thing that really drew me back into the study of Titus was that with the problems that these people are dealing with, he said, here's how I want you to live in this present world. You see the problem in verse 16 of chapter 1? There are many who profess to know God, but their deeds, by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. So they're teaching, and they may be really good at teaching, but their life says something else about their godliness. And then the core passage for this whole study and really foundation for the Christian life is found in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Listen to what he says. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Ah, well, that's old-fashioned. You know, listen. The commands of Christ are not just suggestions. If we belong to him, like Sammy preached last week, if we are in the army of the Lord, then these are commands, and they're not options. The first thing that changes in a seeker sense of ministry is the gospel. Oh, they call the gospel. A lot of people call things the gospel. I remember the pope was here, the, the previous pope was here uh, a few years ago, and I happened to catch it on TV. He was at Yankee Stadium. And he gets up and he says, I'm here to preach the gospel of Christ. I thought, awesome. The Catholic Pope is going to preach the gospel. Nope, that was it. He was the gospel. The fact that he showed up, that was it. He showed up and sat down. That's it. Him coming was the gospel. No, my friends, that is not the gospel. But why did people change the gospel? Because it's offensive. Remember, David was here and preached on the serpent in the wilderness from John 3 and Deuteronomy. And he said, you're lost on your way to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. So religion is you doing something. It's you getting religious. It's you getting righteous. It's you making yourself good enough for God. Nope, there's nothing. When those people got bit by the snake, God had Moses make 
a serpent of brass, which represented the poison that was killing them, put it up on a pole and say, look at it. What did they have to do with anything? It wasn't medicine. He didn't get rid of the snakes. It was just God's command, you got to trust me. And all those that looked were healed. And those that couldn't see the logic in it and didn't look died. The gospel is offensive. Jesus said that. I count not to bring peace but a sword to divide families against themselves. Why? Because the gospel's an offense. Jesus said, I'm a rocket of offense. But as Christians, it's the only thing that saves. You see, when you, when you change the gospel and you get disciples to something else, they're not disciples of Christ, and they don't have the spiritual DNA of Jesus. That's why it's no strange thing when you go to a culture that's completely different. Remember, over 20 years ago, traveling to Thailand, to minister with some pastors and had great fellowship, and I didn't understand the thing they were saying. We had interpreters. But you know what? The desires for a believer are the same in any culture. Their desire was, how do I, how can I be a Christian leader in my home? How can I, what does the Bible say about how I treat my wife and my children? I want to be an example so my children grow up to honor the Lord. Those things don't change in the heart of a true believer. But you change the gospel, and it becomes this thing, you know, like modern people talk about our Constitution. Oh, isn't it wonderful? It's so stretchy. No, that's what lawyers say. If you study history and you go back, look at the Constitution, they wrote it that way in order to preserve liberty. We have politicians that come up and say, oh, no, that's old-fashioned. Now they're actually saying that. We need to get rid of the Constitution because it, you know, that can't fit for our modern day. That's the same thing that happens to the gospel in the modern expanded mind of man. Well, I'm not comfortable with that. You know what happens? We become idolaters. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the rich man, he gets some silver and some gold and some jewels and he makes himself an idol. It has hands, but it cannot feel or touch. It has mouths, it cannot speak. Eyes, it cannot see. Ears, it cannot hear. The poor man, he just goes and gets a piece of wood that won't totter, and he makes that his idol. What is that? Something they can be comfortable with. The Jesus of the Bible can never be tamed, and we're never going to be comfortable with him. Who knew him better than John, the evangelist? And when he heard his voice, in his glorified body in Revelation chapter 1, I'm sure it hit his heart. Hold it. There's something in there that's Jesus. Even though it sounds like a huge waterfall, and yet so clear and piercing, he recognized Jesus. He turned around to get a glimpse of him, and the physical presence of Jesus knocked him flat to his face. The God of the Bible is not something the natural human being can be comfortable with. You can't be comfortable with him. And the gospel isn't there to comfort people in their sin. Not to comfort people on the broad road. It's a message that calls them to turn, to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow Christ. That's the difference. You see, if you change the gospel and they they receive something else, they're not receiving Jesus. 
And they don't look like Jesus because they didn't get Jesus' DNA. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, you get that life that he talked about, and it desires different things because he changed your want to. You have his life now. Yes, we need discipleship, but God creates in you that desire for the word and a desire for obedience. So when you listen to the word, it feeds your soul. It's not something to be uh, weighed out and compromised with and arranged so you can be comfortable with it. Our mission, 2 Corinthians 4.1, says, Therefore, since we have received this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. We renounce the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those that are perishing. So if you just want to, you know, make the gospel a little more palatable, make it taste better, then you're hiding the gospel. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5. We do not preach ourselves. It's not about you. It's not about me. But every time I go to some Christian conference, uh, last couple years ago we were down in, in uh, Mississippi at the uh, First Baptist Church in Mississippi, great church. But on everybody's mind is, oh, how do we reach millennials? Oh. Somebody put on Facebook, maybe it was you, how that we just need to be patient with millennials because, you know, they want to still use the F word and they still want to kind of live with their girlfriend and boyfriend. So we just got to be patient, you know, and just kind of, that's the difference in culture today. Yeah, well, the gospel went to pagan cultures first. And Christ gives a desire for holiness and righteousness, and we as churches need to be preaching it and teaching what the Word of God says, not accommodating lost people so they feel like they're on their way to heaven. Because Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. It doesn't matter what the culture is doing, but the choice is, are you going to put on culture or are you going to put on Christ? Here's the question. Do you really believe the gospel is the power of God to salvation? Or, does you, or is it you, your style? I hear another thing at Christian conferences is that people have a cowboy church. And they say, well, you know, these cowboys, they just won't go to church. Right, unless the Holy Spirit tells them to. Well, see, we got to meet in a barn. I'm not against meeting in a barn. God doesn't care what kind of building you meet in. But when you get there, you give them the gospel. Because if you give them the gospel and they really get saved, they're going to want, want to be a part of the church, not that wannabe thing. Now, we have an urban ministry, and our pastors in that ministry really hesitate to call it cowboy church for what the cowboy church has as a flavor. Maybe it's not cowboy church. Maybe it's athletic ministries. I asked a fellow who was up from Colorado he was there to preach the FCA, and so I thought. It was clear back when David and Aaron and BJ and all those guys were leading the FCA ministry. So I asked him, I said, what are you going to preach about tonight? Oh, brother, <laughs> I'm not going to preach. I'm like, what are you going to do, lie? Oh, no, I'm just going to share. 
my, my son David said, Dad, would you leave him alone? You're scaring him. Well, guys like that need to be scared. What are they saying? We're ashamed of preaching. We're ashamed of preachers. We're much cooler, see? We're going to come in. We're going to slide that gospel. They're not even know they had it. Well, if they never know they got it, they probably didn't get it. See? There's all this style, you know? Well, we got to have a motorcycle ministry, and so we got to meet, reach all the gangsters, and then we got to have, and so everything becomes about style. You know what blesses God? When He sees a church that reflects the whole culture, not just one part of it. When I think of all the people, your lives, you come to Christ, and I think of all the different places you come from, it just blesses my heart because God brings unity through Christ, not through culture. The Great Commission is go make disciples. Disciples of what? Disciples of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the last verse says, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. And it may be a different culture where people have different clothes they wear. But if you think you got to get tattoos and you got to wear your hair a certain way and look and talk and act like a millennial in order to reach a millennial, then what you're saying is the gospel has lost its power. It's lost its power. The secret of this church, if there's a secret, I don't think we make it a secret is that we have been sowing the gospel for 32 years. And that's not shake and bake. That takes a while. But when people come to Christ and they're rooted and grounded in the word, they grow to look like Christ. Simple. The answer is biblical discipleship. For the grace of God has appeared and it teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and to live sensibly, godly, and righteously in this present world. Well, it starts with an attitude. Titus 1.1. I don't know how far we'll get this morning. With understanding your position in Christ. Paul begins and he says, Paul, a slave of God. Now, the scripture here in the English says bondservant. I reread the book by MacArthur this last week called Slave. And he talks about the, the obliteration of the word servant. He said, I don't know the whole reason for it, the, the obliteration of the word slave and replacement with servant. But it's a lot more comfortable to think about yourself as a servant of God than a slave of God. And that started a while ago. Because a servant is kind of like the guy that shows up and you pay him, he's like the job, he quits and gets another one. And, and I think that there, are much, there is much in Christianity in our modern culture because we have so many opportunities, we live so wealthy in the United States that it's kind of optional. Well, do I want to live the faithful Christian life? You know, do I really want to be a fanatic? 
David Platt wrote a book called Radical. But see, radical just means faithful. Today, they call anybody that believes in the Constitution of the United States a radical right person. Really? I thought that was just being American. It's what our forefathers and mothers fought and died for, and I think that's what makes us American. So, no, that's radical. And so those that would be dedicated to the Word of God and dedicated to being like Christ are radical. But that's because they don't understand if they belong to Christ, what their position is. It's being slave. John MacArthur says, the message of the American church, it's about success, health, wealth, prosperity, and the pursuit of happiness. We often hear that God loves people unconditionally and wants them to be all they want to be. He wants to fulfill every desire, hope, and dream, every personal ambition, personal fulfillment, and personal gratification. These all become part of the language of evangelical Christianity and part of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of teaching the New Testament gospel where sinners are called to submit to Christ, the contemporary message is exactly the opposite. Jesus is not here to fulfill all your wishes. It's the opposite of that. When the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a slave of Christ and a slave of God, his readers knew exactly what he meant. It wasn't any less shocking being that day. They understood, and, and John goes into all kinds of details in his book, Slave. You should read it. It's a good book. About the difference between American slavery that we, that Abraham Lincoln and the Congress emancipated us from in, in uh, 1865 and the slavery that went on in Old Testament times and Greco-Roman times. But the point is, there are things about being a slave whatever times there are. And that is exclusive ownership. You just belong to one master. Complete submission to that master. Singular devotion, total dependence, and personal accountability. The Scottish pastor Alexander McLaren, a contemporary of Spurgeon, echoed these same truths. The true position then for a man is to be God's slave. Absolute submission, unconditional obedience on the slave's part and on the part of the master, complete ownership, the right of life and death, the right of disposing all goods and chattels, the right of issuing commandments without a reason, the right to expect those commandments shall be swiftly, unhesitatingly, punctiliously, and completely performed. These are things inherent to our relationship with God. That's tough. Now, the blessing about that, think about this. He's the total provider. So if God calls you to do something, he's got to provide for it. When you follow the Lord, to us, sometimes it seems like, wow, I really am convinced this is what God's called me to, but what a risk. No, it's not. You belong to the God of glory. And he owns the cattle in a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. And if he's called you to it, he will perform it. Faithful is he that calls, he will also bring it to pass. A slave of Christ. So it's not your message to fix and adjust. You're just an ambassador. You're just a servant carrying the instructions 
to who God told you to carry them to. Now, God saved you on purpose. He redeemed you from the slave market of sin. And Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says he gifted you at salvation on purpose for a purpose. It's amazing to me that most Christians in American churches have no idea what their spiritual gift is. It's like, like God's trying to hide it from them. No. You're just not involved in the king's business, and so you don't know yet. How do I find out? Start serving someplace. I remember John Hutch, former pastor here, thought he wanted to be youth pastors. Well, we'll give that a shot. It lasted two weeks. He was, he was so overwhelmed. said, oh, I got to go tell pastor. He's going to be so disappointed in me. I met him on the road, and I said, John, you're not a youth pastor. He said, oh, I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. But you know it wasn't wrong for him to try, Right? He got out there, and he liked playing with the kids more than he liked leading with them. That he's just too much fun, you know. But an amazing Bible teacher. What is your giftedness? How do you find out? Go ask God. So we studied in James. If you lack wisdom, you don't know what your giftedness is, go ask God. Get into fellowship. If you're involved in a small group, it won't be too long before somebody says, man, I, this is what your giftedness is. This is what you do. Among other gifts, one of our guys, Matt Lenning, hadn't been saved for very long at all. And I'm telling you, if somebody was hurt, he was there. There was no question. He didn't call up and say, hey, can I help? He was just there. Gift of mercy. He has a gift of serving. You're faithful. God's going to let you know. But that giftedness was for a purpose. Paul said, not only was he a slave of God. Now, he said it that way because of the Jewish contingent in the, uh, in the churches there at Crete because they like to discount Paul as an apostle and say, well, they go back to the Old Testament. The servants of God, the slaves of God, Moses, Abraham. He said, no, I'm just like them. I'm bringing God's message for you. These are instructions. He said, as... A slave of God, God had appointed him to be an apostle. He had an official standing with God. He wasn't making up a new message. He didn't have authority to do his own thing. As a slave of God, he was there to communicate in his call, in his giftedness, what God had called him to communicate. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. That gave him the official authority to what he said needed to go in the church. Just like when, what Moses said in the Old Testament went in the Old Testament for those under his authority. Thirdly, it's understanding your life purpose. What is our life purpose? He said, for those that are chosen. Those that are chosen. For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. That includes the elect. Those that are already saved and those that haven't come to faith yet. The elect, those that are chosen, two parts. First of all, to feed and lead those that have already made a decision for Christ. 
And so he's going to do that with this epistle. See, a believer finds out, and I, and I, I just repeat myself, but in our small groups, what I hear often is a believer, somebody comes to Christ, and they say, if they're married, man, I really want to learn how to lead in my family. That's what I want. I want to be a Christian leader because I, I don't want to be a stumbling block. Where does that come from? That's from Christ. So what do you do? You give them what the Bible says. You don't say, well, you know, you're a Christian, so you'll figure that out. No, no, no. You give them direction. When a Christian gets to a place they need counseling, you don't just say, well, you know, I know you don't know, but I'll be praying for you. God will reveal that to you. When you have the word of God to apply the word of God to their life, and I think counseling many times is finding out. Don't be afraid to find out. See, there are many people, that, like he says here, that claim Christ, and even Christians, they, they get these trials. I don't know how many times I've seen young men especially. They come to Christ, and then they go try the flesh out and see if the flesh got stronger. No, no, the old gospel song says, the arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. See, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I remember years ago, and this has happened many times, a fellow came to Christ, and he... He was faithful for a little bit, and then he said, you know, I need to go back and check out the bars again and see what it looks like that. He came back, and he reported to us. He said, I'm telling you, the bars are filled up with nothing but just really bad stuff. Yeah, that's what was filled up before. You just didn't see it because you were part of it. Now you're, you're so don't go there. How many guys said, you know, they've trusted Christ. They really have, and Satan comes along with an attractive uh, temptation, and they fall into it, and they think, Oh, no, I must not be saved. Look at the sin. Listen, a Christian can get into about any sin a worldly person can get into. But I ask them then, so how do you feel about that? No, man, I feel awful. I've let the Lord down. Good. That's what you should feel. It's called conviction. Here's the answer. He didn't say feel guilty for six months. Confess your sin. Identify that your sin is, is sin, and God will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. That's the Christian life, always confessing our sins. That's what it's all about. And so we teach the word of God to new believers. We feed them the word. That's why in our youth group, in our Sunday school, on every level, every opportunity of ministry, it always has to be the word of God. See, if you don't believe the gospel is powerful, if you believe you, believe you got to kind of cajole and kind of keep people in the faith, you're going to be a nervous wreck. I think counseling, like I began to say, was, is finding out. Somebody's having trouble, you'll give them the word of God. Well, oh, they, they might, may not feel so good about that. That's true. The gospel's strong medicine sometimes. Sometimes the remedy is tough. But you'll find out. Because Jesus said about those that really weren't saved, they grew up among the, the stones and the rocks. At first they spring up because a little dew, a little moisture there, but then the sun comes out. And he explained it. He says they go away because they're offended by the word. So you bring the word into a counseling situation. Is there a desire for obedience? You can kind of leave them with the word. Here it is. Here's what you're supposed to do. Memorize it if necessary. But this is what God calls you to obedience. But if they say, oh, no, let's meet again. You just make me feel better about my, you know, I'm going to be okay. And you, just, and you do that for a while. You may be dealing with an unregenerate soul. Because there's no hunger. There's no appetite for obedience it's part of the DNA Christ put in. We teach the word, the whole counsel of God. 
And secondly, our purpose is to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. He said, not only am I here for those that are chosen, for the elect, those that aren't saved, those that are already saved, to be a part of the church, to find out my giftedness, to minister, to strengthen, but also to be a light for the world. He was also an apostle of the truth. He was just the slave carrying the message of the truth of Jesus Christ to anybody that would listen. The truth. The truth. Nothing but the truth. The truth. See, you don't have to dress the truth up to a believer. You just tell them the truth. You give them the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why we have folks that go to the Bible Institute and they say, man, that was so good, I want to do it again. Some have been in there three or four times. Why? Because when God plants you in his soil, what feeds your soul is the word of God. It never gets old. It's always strengthening. Yes, it's rebuking. But it's also healing. And he's called us to be ambassadors, slaves just to bring the message. That's not just for apostles, for pastors and missionaries. That's for everybody. It's not that you're not an ambassador, you need to become an ambassador. The question is, what kind of an ambassador are you for Christ? What, pe- what can people see by looking at your family? He's going to talk about the family because the Holy Spirit's going to give Paul some information again. He said, if you want your family to be what God intended it to be, a reflection of Christ's love for the world, then it needs to look like this. And this is what husbands do, and this is what wives do. This is the principles. This is the roles. If you want your church to be a reflection of the gospel, then this is how you love one another. This is how you treat one another. It's not about just having the perfect doctrinal statement, but how do you carry that out? Are you loving? You know, it keeps us from loving selfishness. And so we build a wall and say, well, well, I don't want to go there. (laughs) I think I'll minister someday to people way out there. Somebody can read. But listen, if you can't love here, in your own culture, in a church, you're not going to love out there. That's a pipe dream. Ambassadors for Christ. Matthew 5.14 says, you're the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone give light to a, put, light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Why? Because your life cannot be explained by you. Can't be explained just by you. That's why we love testimonies. You, see, you find a faker in the church, and he doesn't want to talk about the way he used to be. And, and it's very it's sketchy about his, well, you know, he might learn some religious words. Well, you know, and then I did this, and I received Jesus, and so here I am today. But when you first ask him, share your testimony, he's like, what? No, no, share your story. You know, how'd you come to Christ? Oh, well, you know, I just kind of grew up this way. No, you didn't. Nobody is assimilated by osmosis into the church by parents, by religion, by man. Jesus said, you must be born again. A Pharisee, he wants to make sure he doesn't talk much about the way he used to be. But see, 
True believers understand they can be transparent because their righteousness is not their own. See, on my own, we'd still be, like we sing in the song, a rebel running from God. But Jesus came in, and Jesus changed everything. He changed the way I treat my family, the way I treat my spouse, the way I love people that are not the same as I am. It gives me this ability, his love, to reach out outside of my comfort zone and watch God do things. He said, but, he said, if the salt, because we're salt of the world, if it loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything. If you're not light and you're not salt, then what kind of an ambassador are you? How many times I've heard from people. The first time I heard the gospel, it's like it kind of ticked me off. Well, that's what the gospel does. It says you're not okay and there's nothing you can do about it. People don't like that message. They don't like that message. One of the doctrines that even Christians, because they have a wrong understanding of, or they don't really look at the whole Bible, is they don't like the doctrine that man is totally lost without any opportunity on his own. Total depravity. Mm, they don't like that. Oh, no. No, let's give them away. Let's get a style they can, they can get into. Let's give them something they like. You know, tell them a few happy stories, sad stories. Give them to make a prayer, and they'll be good. But that's not the gospel. The gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, that you haven't left us on our own to try to figure out where we should be going, what we should be doing, but you have given us the word of God and you've given us the Holy Spirit so we can have understanding and, yea, a desire to be obedience. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, as we look into the book of Titus, Lord, give us hungry attitudes and open hearts to receive it into our life that we desire to be like Christ and devour more of your word that we might be vessels that you can use. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.